Hi guys, this is Jake Parker. Welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Fit podcast, where it's my job to help you apply knowledge that is both scientific and practical into your own life to maximize your physique development and your overall body, as well as your mind. The combination of these two things is what makes you Beyond Fit. Hi guys, this is Jake Parker back on the Beyond Fit podcast. Today you're hearing a part two I'm doing with Paul Cleet. And um, so we ended the last discussion we had a little bit short because Paul had a little bit of an emergency on his end, not necessarily emergency, but uh, yeah, was there was fire a fire alarm going off in the- Fire alarm going off in the, in the yeah, building. In the we had to evacuate. So, yeah, so we're-, we're uh, glad to be able to do this part two because we had a lot of stuff that we both discussed that we didn't feel like we got to finish discussing. So like I said, um, we ended the last conversation talking about energy and how that kind of transfers to our day-to-day lives, how that fuels what we do and what we think. Uh, You were specifically making some examples to like sports and athletes and the focus that they have on energy, not only on their day-to-day lives, but just how tangible that can be in the context of like a big sports moment. And so going from like the less tangible kind of thing that we all know is there and can feel, I'm curious how, um, and going off like our last conversation, you put mindfulness into practice in your day-to-day life and what that looks like for you and what it means just on a day-to-day basis to walk around being mindful. Yeah, absolutely. I like to look at mindfulness as uh, meditation, journaling, and breath work, and it's all centered around things that we might mindlessly do and being a lot more mindful of it. And these are all things that, you know, unless I had spent the time that I did getting my 200-hour certification as a yoga instructor and, and taking a bunch of yoga, might not have really explored. But then when I saw how it worked and fit into the different crevices and cracks of myself as an athlete, I found it to be super beneficial. And what's interesting is you can label it whatever you want, mindset, mental performance, mental toughness. Like there's a, there was, I was talking with a high school athlete that I'm, I'm coaching right now. And he's like, yeah, I like mental toughness. And I was like, okay, we're just going to call it mental toughness now rather than mindfulness. So mm. put whatever word you want. But when I look at my routine and what I try and do on a daily basis, there's going to be a time when I sit down and meditate and then afterwards journal. And I usually let the meditation inform, or I usually let the meditation kind of go the route of how I've been feeling that day. So if something's been coming up, or if I've been running into a self-limiting belief constantly during that day, I'll sit and meditate on it. And how I like to think of those meditations is imagine like you're, sit, you're standing on the edge of it, the ocean right on the beach and waves are coming in and waves are coming out and each wave is like a thought and those thoughts you can take time and like inspect and really dive deep into, or you Mm -hmm. can just let it wash back out. I think a lot of people spend so much energy or get discouraged thinking, Oh, I can't slow my mind down or I can't empty my mind. It's like, that's not the goal. The meditation is to ponder, to ruminate, to think on, and I use it as a way to really think on and be mindful of what it is that I'm feeling, what it is that I'm experiencing, what it is that maybe I want to visualize or want more of. And then what comes up during that meditation is then what I take and apply to my journal through a bunch mm-hmm. of different journal prompts. A big one that I've been using 
going into this next year is more or less. Um, and it's basically, what do I want to create more of experience more of what do I need to do a more successful or happy life? Boom. That's on one column. What do I need to do less of? Because if you think about a computer with a bandwidth, maybe you got a computer with a hundred gigabytes in order for you to upload things onto it. Sometimes you got to take stuff off of it. You can't just add, add, add. Everyone is like, all right, I'm going to add all these things to my routine, all these workouts. And you can only do that to a certain point to when you hit that max capacity and you got to let go of some things that aren't serving you. You got to let go of, uh, like call them anchors and propellers. You might have things in your life that are anchors that if you let go of that, then you can pr get propelled and go much faster, go much further. Um, and so it's just really using meditation as a way to inform what I would then do from a journaling standpoint and allow my thoughts to be placed on paper so they're tangible so that I can review them. I'm just finishing a journal now and it's super interesting to look back at what I was writing 200 pages ago because that's brought about a year ago. And so it's, um, it's a way to kind of reflect and see mental growth the same way, same way you would look at before and after photos and say, oh, wow, I was this weight and now I'm this weight. I had small muscles now I have big muscles. And so that's what, that's why I like using journaling and meditation in, in kind of like a combo. The other thing that I talked on was just breathing and using breath as a way to regulate either the nervous system or pair it in a meditation so that I can help myself fall asleep. It's something that if, if you feel like your mind's always going when you're sleeping, a mantra or just counting your breath focuses your mind on one thing. And then by emphasizing exhale, so maybe you're using a four second inhale, six second exhale, that breathing ratio is going to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system more. So maybe I'm really stressed or I just like get into a quick argument and it's that two seconds of mindfulness where I'm saying, all right, this could escalate, or I could breathe in for four, exhale for six, for four rounds, and my entire state's going to change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you can see where that ties into whatever practice you would want to have from a, a mental performance standpoint, right? With your, if you're an athlete and you're wanting to apply that to sports, you would breathe in between pitches so that you're not like, losing control and spiraling out of control if you're a basketball player and you score 25 points like what did i do well why was i why was i creating turnovers um if you're you know training and you want to get more sleep you could use meditation and use mantra stuff to help you fall asleep so that you're able to recover more get better sleep and be able to train harder the next day and so that's where i like to say like it fills in the cracks of everything that i'm doing from a athletic training really like western society driven side because if i use that to help me slow down it helps me pull that bowstring back further so that i can accelerate that arrow the other direction later on yeah yeah i like the analogy you use there of like the waves uh crashing on the beach i've heard similar things about our thoughts just being like clouds in the sky that you can kind of watch pass by or like cars that are driving by your house in the night or whatever. And it's just, it's, it's, it's key to realize that I think that we're always thinking, we're always coming up with stories and that the things that we hold on to or that we let become part of like the narrative of our lives are not always necessarily true or useful. So it does a lot just to take a step back and 
put out your thoughts, you know, in your journal or let them pass by during your meditation because you realize that you don't have to be connected to and act on every thought. And I think that one of the big things that I've come to realize is that everybody is insecure and anxious and worries to some extent. And that's not a unique thing. A lot of times people are kind of surprised to, to hear that, to hear someone else express that, that everyone, no matter how successful they are, has insecurities and worries. And so I guess the question going off of this is, how do you deal with like the stories that you tell yourself, whether positive or negative, but just kind of like you touched on in the first episode, how you thought these certain things that were untrue about what it took to um, be fit and to maintain your ideal body. Um, how do you deal with positive or negative stories in the context of your meditation and journaling practice? Yeah, the big one that I do, and I'm like probably 30 pages into a journal now where I've basically for the entire page, so it's 30 lines, I write an I am statement. So that I am statement would be like, I am an excellent coach. I'm a world-class coach. I am a great boyfriend. I am a great friend and brother to my, my brother, something like that. Because the story that comes up is often like, I'm a piece of shit. I'm, I don't know anything as a coach. Like I'm not qualified. I'm not, I don't have any credibility. Like no one should listen to me. Right. Those are all different thoughts that can come up in our industry and they can come up in kind of like, Oh, I, I don't deserve this person. Or yeah. I, you know, it's like, those are stories that are subconscious when you like imposter syndrome is a big one imposter syndrome for sure. And so taking the time to write out, I am this, I am this, I am this, I am this. So that is the loop that you get onto more. And then what I find helps me when I write that out consistently every single day, then I'm able to look at decisions and much more binarily say, is this going to help that become true? And so if I'm saying like, I am a world-class coach and there comes an opportunity for me to cut a corner or do the work that I need to do, it's like, well, I'm a world-class coach. So world-class coach does this. And the thing that I really like is now that my mind is trained in looking for that, I'm looking for more opportunities for that to become true rather than the reverse. So if you're saying mm -hmm. like, I'm a bad coach, you're going to hyper-focus in on the one time that you mess up out of the thousand times where you get everything right. Um, and so that's something that I think is really helpful for me outside of the meditation and the journaling is like, I'm a, big fan of coaching. Uh, and in the last year I've been become a big proponent and fan of therapy. And I have a therapist that I talk to every couple of weeks. I have a business coach. I have a couple other, like a fitness coach, like a, my own training and nutrition coach and a couple other people in my corner where I'm bouncing thoughts. I'm bouncing experiences off them so that they're not like in my head and I can look at them at a different angle and see like, Oh wow. Like when I say that out loud, it really does sound silly or it does it's basically like a lie that I'm buying into, or, you know, it gives me that opportunity to say like, okay, like, yeah, this is actually something that it really is true for me. And I want more of that. And so I think the biggest thing, I think, I don't can't remember if I mentioned this on the first podcast, but it's like this concept of poking the holes in the potato that we talked about that last time. I don't know. We don't, we didn't, I don't, I don't think. So if you have a, a baked potato and you just throw it in the oven, that thing's going to just explode, right? The whole reason why you poke holes or cut your potato is so that it doesn't build up all that pressure and then explode. And so for me, every time I'm able to just decompress and share this energy that's going on inside my head, inside just like who I am as a person, 
be able to dissipate a lot of that energy through those conversations. So you could like, think about like, if you've ever had to break up with someone, mm-hmm. right? If you held on to that for two months, like, oh my gosh, that's so much energy to like be dealing with. But then mm-hmm. as soon as you do it, you're like, oh, wow, I feel so much better. And so if you're holding on to a bunch of stuff and you don't take the time to just like defuse it, defuse it, defuse it constantly, that's how you get something boiling up for two years. And then all of a sudden it's this big volcano, right? Yeah. Just like a baked potato. And so whether it's a therapist or it's a coach or a counselor, and again, it's all semantics. They're all doing the same thing. They're mm-hmm. talking to you and you're opening up to them really at, at the foundation of it. And so the more that you can just talk and share and I would relabel be vulnerable as being courageous mm-hmm. and be courageous with the conversations that you're having, then the more likely you are to not have that buildup of anger or whatever it is, resentment, whatever negative emotion that boils over. And then you can go and do something about it before it becomes this big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely can resonate with that. I've been a big fan of counseling and therapy in the past. And I definitely had experience where um, like a big turning point for me was at the end of college, not being sure what I wanted to do, having a breakup at the same time. And I can definitely attest to like, you just want to, you know, block it off and close your eyes and pretend that these scary things aren't going to happen or are going to come up. But it's, it goes back to something that, that I've heard that I really like. And that's just that whatever you resist persists. So, you know, if you are not thinking about something and trying to just, like I said, act like it's not there, turn a blind eye, it's eventually going to catch up and it's going to compound and it's going to be that much worse. So that's why I think there's so much value in like being uncomfortable on a micro scale so that you don't have to be uncomfortable on a macro scale. So for example, you know, having talks with a therapist about uh, a self-defeating thought loop that you're having the first week or two that it's happening is much better than waiting a year or two years or three years like I did, or, you know, not having a conversation with my girlfriend about where things were heading, about how we were both feeling and just kind of always either, it was either kind of like a fight or we were just kind of pretending like everything was fine. Whereas now when I'm in new relationships, I try to really put a big emphasis on like, Hey, uh, it's important to me that we talk about things that are bothering us, that we be honest and open and vulnerable with each other. Just because, like I said, those those hard choices in the near term make things so much easier in the long term, and I can I can attest to that in my own life. Yeah, absolutely. The, the really the quality of your life is in a big way contingent on the quality of your communication mm-hmm. and being able to like exchange what you're feeling, take like an, an absorb and understand and hear and listen what other people are feeling. So that's like the other side of this too is like if you know that someone's having a hard time, don't like make them suppress it more. Like Mm -hmm. try and be someone that someone feels like, Hey, I can at least talk to you. And maybe you're not going to like the super deep levels, but again, even just like releasing the tension just a little bit can be enough for someone then to go and and take some bigger action. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that meditation has helped me out with is like, not taking things so personally and being so defensive when someone, you know, say again, it's, it's an easy example in a relationship. If someone has an issue and says, this thing that you're doing is bothering me, it's really hard not to take that personal and be like, why are you trying to attack me? Why are you trying to make me feel bad? Because the other person is not trying to do that. 
there's just something that's been bothering them. And so the more you can take things objectively, which like we kind of talked about, meditation helps you to get a better grasp of, the more you can go, okay, well, how can I change that? Or maybe the other person is wrong, but it's, it's not going to do either of you any good by just being, no, you're wrong. No, that's not true. You know, you got to work through it together because just because another thing I like to say a lot is just that you should talk about things and feelings and thoughts as like, this is the story I've made up in my head because that's a lot more tangible and palatable than like, oh, well, this is what's going on. This is the truth because it's not always true, but we are so good at making things up in our heads that sometimes if you use that um, as like a, a disclaimer, it can help to have both of you, the person that you're talking to, not feel like it's this personal vendetta or something. Yeah, absolutely. One of the, I don't know if metaphor or analogy is the right one. I need to Google that because I, I use them interchangeably. Mm-hmm. But with meditation, I like to think of it as like your brain is the center of the castle. And when you meditate, you have like a big wall, but you also have a big moat. And throughout the day, there's a million things that are going to try and like attack you and cause you to stress out or cause you to like go into that negative loop. And simply by having a meditation practice, you create a moat and a wall so that when those things come to attack you, right, you can think of like sledge or like uh, siege weapons and horses and cavalry and pikemen, like all those things are attacking you in the form of, of stress and work and relationships and all that stuff. But if you have a meditation practice, you have that wall and that moat that for two or three seconds gives you that little bit of extra time to deal with it yep. rather than just getting overwhelmed. Because if you just had a little village and you got attacked by a bunch of medieval like warriors, right, you're going to quickly be overrun if you don't have that wall and that moat to slow them down and give you like, I was watching Lord of the Rings the other day. I think that's why this is coming up where I was mm-hmm. like in Helm's Deep there. They have that huge wall and they're all just like right up against it. It's like, if you have that practice, you can slow things down just enough to be able to respond to it rather than have to react to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think there's nothing that's more valuable to learn than the ability to separate yourself from your thoughts because it's taken me so long and I'm still learning about it every day. But the more I realize that not every thought I have has to be acted on or is a um, picture of objective reality in some way, the easier relationships are, the easier it is to grow your business. Like you said, you know, people can, and, and, and I've done this before, it's like you can almost let self-defeating thoughts stop you from a creative endeavor or starting a business when you say, oh, I'm not worth it. You know, I I don't have the the credentials or whatever it is, but you just have to be able to stop. And even that one or two seconds to just go, oh, is this a real um, version of something I factually have observed? Or am I just making up stories? Because oftentimes I just want to procrastinate, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, But in addition to something you said just a little bit ago, as far as like letting go, I think that in a lot of people's experience, letting go is one of the toughest things because we always want to add things in a lot of aspects of our life. But especially when it comes to getting clear on our intentions and our journaling and, and affirmation and meditation, how do you go about letting something go? Because so often we want to let something go really bad, but like, going back to that thought loop example, it's hard to just like cut it off and stop it. So how do you go about letting things go? And like specifically as far as things in your life, but then more intangibly as far as negative thoughts? Yeah, Um, that's a really good question. And there's been a couple times in my life where I've 
been on like a retreat or done some sort of workshop where it was really powerful and tangible in the way of letting it go. And the first example I'll give is I was on a, I was on a retreat. Um, and at the end of the retreat, we had to write something on a piece of paper and it was a thought or a state or uh, mine, I think was like worrying. Like I was, I'd always worry. And so I wrote worrying. It was like about money, worrying about job, basically just, I had just quit my job. I was like two months after quitting Amazon. So I was like worried about finances and I wrote that on a piece of paper. And then we all walked down to the beach. There was a huge bonfire and we each took turns like throwing that and literally burning it. And so Mm -hmm. having that like tangible um, feeling of like getting rid of it. And so I think that right there is a really good way to like symbolize the death of something And it brings me to the point of you really got to burn the bridges. And a really good example of this is if you're holding on to a past relationship, right? You're like still kind of like texting your ex and still they're still in the picture. You're, you can't bring in something new and something better until you let go of the old that's no longer serving you yet. We we're so bad at that as humans where we like, we want to hold on to what we know. We want to hold on to what's comfortable because even as even, uh, even though I would worry about money, I had done that for a while. So I was comfortable with that. It's like the Mm -hmm. known evil is better than the unknown evil. Mm -hmm. And so we, we might say like, yeah, my, my ex is a terrible person, but they're not as scary as having to put myself out there. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Right. Uh, and I'm saying this from experience. And so the act of like burning the bridges, not that you have to like burn the bridges and block them and 100% like erase them from your life, but going through some sort of, um, ritual, I can't think of a better term, kind of like how I like literally burnt that paper that said worrying about finances on it where you're like, okay, I am burying the photo book that we have of each other. And I'm like, throw, like I'm like burning that or doing something where it's like, okay, a flip, a, a, a flip is switching to say like, I'm letting that go. And that's where you are able to take on something new. And that's what I was yeah. talking about with like, there's only so much gigabyte storage you have on your computer. You got to delete older videos. If you're going to put new videos on there. Yeah, it's like stuff like that is so cathartic, like just that release. It's a release of emotion. And that's really important just in the context of everything else we've talked about is just when you give yourself permission to release that emotion, that feeling. Yeah. And I think memories are a really big one that are tied to those emotions. So that could mean getting rid of items, getting rid of photos, getting rid of really anything that is tied to a memory of when you were struggling financially or when you were dating that person like if you're if you're dating someone and you still got their sweater like throw the sweater out otherwise that memory is still going to come up and you haven't totally let go like you got 100 percent let go um and maybe revisit it down the road but the the big thing just want to touch on what you were talking about too with with negative thoughts right you're always going to to some degree have a disposition to like insecurities or small traumas or micro traumas or macro traumas. But I think the other thing that you can do too is like mindfully recognize when they're coming back up and be like, Oh, what's up? Like, I see you. Yeah. I'm not going, I'm not going to, you know, entertain that thought yeah. or entertain. Like back to that cloud or car example. It's like, Oh, there's that cloud drifting by, or there's that car that always drives by at this time. You know, yeah, exactly. Like 
It's like if, if, if my ex-girlfriend texts me and I see the text, that doesn't mean that I have to respond to it. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, yeah, you texted me. I'm not going to go down memory lane and try and solve my problems that way because I know that's not going to happen. And for the record, my ex isn't texting me, but that's like a really simple example that I think a lot mm-hmm. of people can connect with because most people have exes. Yeah. Another example of being micro uncomfortable to be, to, to resist being macro uncomfortable because having a very on the rocks relationship for a couple of years is going to be macro uncomfortable. Whereas micro uncomfortable might be, Oh, I'm not going to text this person back because I don't think that that's good for me. I don't think that it's ultimately good for them. And just having enough respect and respect for yourself and the other person and just self-awareness to know that this might feel good in the moment, but I'm, I'm prioritizing the big picture of my life and what's good for me and what's good for this other person um, in a, a larger scale. Yeah, definitely. Um, something else that came up as far as when you talk about like journal prompts, I'm curious about what some of your journal prompts look like, but not only that, but just like prompts that you might just use in your, in your head, like in your day-to-day life. If you're feeling a negative thought or you're feeling a negative emotion, like for me, this is one I kind of already touched on today and I think I've touched on in the past, but I had a counselor one time that he would just say, you know, ask yourself, what are the facts? Because I would go off on this big, long tangent in this story, you know, and a lot of it was just stuff I was making up. But again, it was hard for me to realize that at the time. And he would just go, okay, how much of that that you said was based on facts? And I'd go and recount and be like, well, I guess really not very much. So I try to ask myself a lot of times when I'm getting worked up, okay, what are the facts of this situation? So is there any journal prompts that you really like? Or anything that you just find yourself asking, you know, like in your head on a daily basis? Yeah. Uh, I think we talked about a couple of these perfect journal or perfect day and right, like the perfect day, perfect light. Yeah. We talked about those ones. So I like those ones for visualization. Um, really the three ways I like to bucket it out. And I think I mentioned this earlier, but it's reflection, grounding and visualization. Okay. Reflection. So I, I talked about the more or less one, right? You split a piece of paper up or, or a journal. I want more of this. I want less of this. Boom, fill that out. Um, I love, I call it what's the truth, but it's like, what are the facts where it's basically like, here's the lies I tell myself. Here's the truth about this or evidence that would prove that to be false, right? You basically like play lawyer on both sides and you're like, I'm the prosecutor. I'm the defendant and just be like, okay, boom. Like what's the truth? And then to that, there's, there are going to be times when you see something and you're like, okay, the truth is like, I can't dunk a basketball. Like I, I'm mm-hmm. lying to myself and saying I can't dunk a basketball, but I, I also literally can't dunk a basketball. So then you can go the next step and say like, all right, in order to make that true, what needs to happen? So that mm-hmm. might be like the next page. And that's how you kind of order like, all right, like here are the skill sets and the, and the coaching that I need. Um, another one that I really like that I got from Tim Ferriss is the fear journal. So this one would be like, what are you? Oh yeah. I know about this. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're wanting to quit your job and start your own business, but you're afraid of X, 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 and X. And then the next, the next page is like, all right, what is the likelihood of that happening? And then you're like, okay, like I'm afraid of swimming, but the likelihood of getting eaten by a shark is less than getting struck by lightning twice. Okay. Like 1% say something is five or 10%. Like I lose my, I quit my job and then I'm broke. All right, say that percent of it happening actually does happen. Then the next page is, what is my action plan to get out of that problem? How long would that take? And then you're able to like, again, tangibly see, okay, I'm making this huge fear up that my friends are going to 
I, I just have like onion or a big fruit bag in front of me. It's like, my friends are going to throw tomatoes at me if I, if I, you know, tell a joke and it's like, yeah. okay, what is the likelihood of that happening? Oh, wow. It's really 0.001. That's probably an irrational fear. And I can hopefully move beyond that and not let that govern my life. So that fear journal, I think is a really cool one. Just again, to like, write down what you're afraid of, write down the likelihood of that happening, write down your plan. If that does happen, and then write down how long it would take for you to recover back to square one. And I think the whole way that that fear journal works, and I've heard it really well put uh, on a guest that I had on my podcast was basically like, people say all the time, worst case scenario, I go back to X. So that just goes to show like you're living in your worst case scenario now. And so what you're afraid of is preventing you from getting out of your worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. And the other um, so, thing, I like people don't allow themselves to say, okay, well, what's the best case scenario? Like, what if everything goes right and everything goes well? Because oftentimes, when you talk about just getting down to the nitty gritty and percentages, there's a lot higher percentage that you're successful because obviously you've thought about why you want to do this and the plan that you have for it and stuff like that. So if you're going to allow yourself to think about the worst case scenario, give yourself some leeway and allow yourself to think about the best case scenario too. And what if this works out? hundred percent. I love that because we always are like, Oh, what if, what if this doesn't work? And it's like, what if it does work? And the does work is more likely than the big thing you're fearing. Sorry. I'm just scrolling down. I, on my page, I've been posting pretty close to daily journal prompts. And so I have a couple others. Okay. I want to see if I can pull up. Um, but like talking back to around reflection, reflection, grounding within grounding, I would say some sort of affirmation, some sort of mantra. Like I said, like I'll write down 30 lines of the exact same affirmation every single day. It could be mm -hmm. the exact same mantra. So you could be the mantra of today's the best day ever. Today's the best day ever. Today's the best day ever. It could be something if you're like, and like trying to run a 5k, there's one that my client had, he's like, I did the impossible last week. So in a couch to 5k two weeks ago, you like, you literally couldn't run that amount previously. So every single day is like, wow, I did the impossible last week. I did the impossible last week. And you know, it's, it's kind of like the slogans that sports brands will have just do it. Mm -hmm. Impossible is nothing. Um, I can't think of what under armors is, but those are just mantras to repeat mm -hmm. to yourself. And when you write those out, you see that and that creates a ton of, of positive energy going into the day. Um, visualization. I've talked about that one a little bit, but I really like just kind of writing out like, man, what, what would it feel like when, that big dream that you have is real mm -hmm. and kind of just like on the same way an author would describe it on a page of a book you're reading, like try and get into every single emotion where you're like, great. I have and this, this is just a random one. I have a new Lamborghini. What does it feel like? What is the color of the seat? What is the smell? Like what kind of little like pine tree tree do I have hanging down mm -hmm. in the middle? What's playing in the, um, like on the radio, what road am I on? And just create this, this world in this environment where it's real so that you can actually like feel and, and imagine that as being something real versus being like, oh, I, I want this, but there's no context. There's no sensual um, right. senses that are being incorporated. Mm -hmm. Hope that so, answered your question. I, yeah. I have I have a bunch on... YouTube channel, a bunch that I post on my story every day. Okay. Um, but I, I usually try and break it out into a reflection, 
some sort of grounding present moment. A gratitude journal would be another really good one where you just, I, I like to call it a gratitude rampage where you just write, take a piece of paper and you're like, wow, all the things in this room that I'm grateful for. And you just write down every single one. Um, I actually got that from Sean White. He'll do a gratitude rampage before he'll uh, do like any kind of competition. Mm -hmm. I almost have like the opposite approach sometimes when it comes to gratitude because I, I do try to do a gratitude journal every morning, but I try not to have like the everyday cop out of like, I'm grateful for, and not these things aren't like hugely important, but like not just being every day. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my, that I have a place to live and I have enough food and I have a job and I have blah, blah, blah. But I try to go a little bit deeper and be like, well, what am I specifically, a lot of the, a lot of times I try to use gratitude for like the day before, well, what specific scenario that happened yesterday was I grateful for, or like what specific, like, you know, I'm grateful for this specific meal that I'm about to have or something where it doesn't just feel like a lot of times it can just be on autopilot. Oh, okay. I got to get my gratitude done. Uh, family. Uh, this, this, and this, you know, and not that those things aren't important to feel gratitude for, but it shouldn't just be another one of those things where you just, oh, got to mark gratitude journaling off the list. Sometimes when you think about a more specific instance, it can really help you feel that more deeply. Yeah, I really like that. You know who Jocko Willink is? Mm -hmm. And then there's a video he has on the internet called Good, where he just says like yeah, yeah, Good I, over I, yeah, and over. Mm -hmm. So I ran a half marathon and every time like my knee would hurt or every time we, I ran into a hill, I would just yell Good. I'll just say, good, good. Mm -hmm. Like this is an opportunity to push myself. This is an opportunity to pass people. This is an opportunity to see what I'm made of. And so your example is great because you can look back on the day, look at something super shitty that happened and be like, good, I'm yeah. grateful for that test because now I'm going to either be stronger or next time I run into that, I'm going to know how to do that. Yeah. So I, lo I love that you, you touched on, or it's like, I, I look back on the day and I'm grateful for that. That's a really cool one. Yeah. And the other thing that ties into that is like, I just feel like, so I, I guess this kind of partly comes from the five minute journal. Cause that was my first ever journal that I had and they would prompt you to do it in the morning and at night. And I just found eventually that like, I like to just have a really strict morning routine and kind of do whatever at night. Like I was kind of just forgetting to like pull it out and do the gratitude every night at the end of the day. So I kind of pulled like, instead of gratitude at the end of the day, I would start out the next day with gratitude from the day before. So kind of doing the same thing. But uh, yeah, no, I love Jocko. I was thinking about earlier, you, know, you were talking about Tim Ferriss and we almost hit on that quote that I really like from him. That's like, your life can be measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. And I definitely agree with that too. And I think that you can make that a thing that you do with yourself, like through journaling, through meditation, asking yourself the hard questions, making the hard choices. But uh, yeah, I, I do. I think that's so important to realize that the shittiest things in your life, a lot of times, or almost every time, are what make your life meaningful. You know, if you only had pleasure and happiness and good things happen, you would live a really unfulfilling life. And like for you and me and most people that are in a similar position where they're a business owner and have transformed themselves physically in some way, if it wasn't for thinking this crazy stuff that we used to think and try to apply to our lives, or if it wasn't for feeling angsty and like we, we didn't, we didn't fit into like the uh, 30 years of working in corporate America, then that stuff wouldn't have led us to where we are now. So the shitty times are just information for what you need to change. And that's part of like the awareness aspect of meditation. I'm trying to be aware of what, and this is kind of like you touched on at the beginning too, what do I like about my life and what do I want more of? And what do I want to try to change? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've used a lot of journaling examples, meditation examples. I'll use like relationship analogies, but I do want to make sure it's getting tied back. So like you and I both train and coach people in mm-hmm. fitness, but this is like the underwiring. Like if you were to rip open your computer and look at all the tiny little pieces, like you think that a computer is like a screen and a keyboard. Mm-hmm. But the real computer is like underneath all of the plastic that's like strapped down together. And the stuff that you know we're talking about today, when that gets addressed, then your computer runs so much better and it makes the, the training and the nutrition stuff easier because you're not holding on to these stories that are either there's kind of like two buckets where it's like people don't believe that they're capable of more or don't realize what they're yeah, capable of absolutely. or there's people who know what they're capable of and they're frustrated because they don't know how to get back to that and so it's like that delta of like oh i used to be an athlete or i used to be athletic or i used to be able to do this but then i got injured or then i let myself go like i know what i'm capable of but i'm not there and mm-hmm. it's like when you address all the stuff that we're talking about that's when the transformation happens yeah I often talk about total health on the podcast, which is just like, even if you're physically very strong and fit or, you know, you can run marathons or bench press 300 pounds or do whatever. If you're not emotionally and mentally fit, if you are anxious or depressed or you have trouble with relationships, or even if you are, you know, like bodybuilding is a good example where sometimes people get really super shredded and they can maybe win a competition, but if they have a terrible relationship with food, well, then they are not healthy in every aspect. And so I think that, that's important to note. And also just, I want to emphasize how much I agree with the fact that like you learning how you can push yourself physically directly translates into what you can do in your daily life, what you can do with relationships and work. I don't think I would have ever taken on the entrepreneur journey if it wasn't for the transformation that I underwent understanding, Oh, I don't, I'm not just doomed genetically to never be strong and fit and muscular. Uh, because basically like I spent all this time working out and I kind of, one of the stories I had was, Oh, I'm just not genetically built to be big and jacked, which I have a leaner frame and it's harder for me to gain muscle, but it just was a product of not applying the right information. And so that kind of taught me that in other aspects of my life, Oh, I'm unhappy with this, this, and this, well, why don't I try to figure out what the right information is and apply that in the best way possible and not worry about the things that are left up to chance and not just say, Oh, I'm doomed because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, no, totally. It's that victim mentality versus being like, oh, well, what can I do about it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been like a big mindset shift besides the stuff that we've already talked about for you where you figured out, oh, you know, I was standing in my own way just as far as, as this thing and then just applying the right information, applying the right mindset really changed everything? Mm. I mean, I'd say like my entire life and it will continue to be my entire life. I was at the doctor getting um, a prescription the other day. And she was like, what were you like when in high school? And I was like, well, cause she was saying I was type a, I'm like, I'm not type a, but I'm probably closer to type a now, but it's like, I wasn't always that way. And it's in high school. And in my twenties, I was very, my younger twenties, I'm still 29 for another month, but it's like, I was very lazy. I just want to play video games. I just wanted to do like the bare minimum. I was like, Oh, you know what, if I had this salary for the rest of my life, I'm like, that wouldn't be too bad. Right. If mm-hmm. I just like, like, I don't need to commit to anyone because I can just incessantly date for the rest of my life. And it's like all these things that I look back now and I'm just like, man, like I really did have to have this mindset shift. And I would say that I think a lot of people think that it's like an aha moment, but I like to think of it more as 
like a crack that then turns into like a bigger crack that then mm -hmm. right that that nut cracks open right we all see like the the hit of the of the the peanut that cracks it open but there's a lot of things that happen before that and so i was i was thinking about this as i was posting content yesterday i was like man this may not get a ton of engagement but i know that it's quality content and i know that this might be the thing that disrupts the foundation to that 1% to where mm -hmm. then that person's open to be cracked. Um, and so I'd say like, for me, how that happened in 2017 is like, I heard a song and the lyrics made me kind of like the lyrics specifically were saying, woe be unto you. If you go into another year, waste another year with an old mentality. And I was like, Oh wow. Like we got 2021 happening literally next tomorrow. I was like, what? I don't want to go into another year with this mentality. And then I listened to a couple podcasts and that was getting me in a, a certain mindset. And I started doing yoga and that was kind of like making me reflect. And then I saw one Instagram post. It was just a long story post, uh, an Andy Frisella post. And it talked about like, you can pretend that you're like, there's bears and there's squirrels. And you can pretend that you're a squirrel and that bears don't exist. But at the end of the day, like, I think this is what it was. I don't have it verbatim. But like, that was literally the moment where I was like, mm -hmm. I need to get my shit together. Mm -hmm. I need to stop pretending that like, none of this matters. None of this exists because it does. And so I would just say like, continue to challenge yourself from like a mindset standpoint is like, continue to put yourself up to that edge to where you have to really like explore what's true and what's not true. And just to give one last analogy I feel like everyone's mind is a golf ball, right? You know, golf balls have hundreds of dimples on them. Mm -hmm. And one of those dimples is like the, is where you can drive that, that stake through to get to the core of that person. And mm -hmm. so a thousand people could see the exact same thing, but you don't know if you're the one person that can hit the dimple that is exposed and then like get to the core of that person. And it might take like spinning that sphere for years, trying to or like organize it. And it's not to say that the other people who are saying that didn't play a role in, in cracking the mindset nut, but there's going to be one person and one thing that strikes to the center of it, but you just got to keep spinning it. Yeah. And I think that just speaks also to falling in love with the process, with the practice. You have a meditation practice, you have a yoga practice, you have a weightlifting practice. I think the reason that these things are called practices is because they have to be continually done and continually done. You don't just meditate once and your mind is clear. You don't just have a good weightlifting session once and you're going to have muscle for the rest of your life, but you have to love the process. And I agree that what that begins with is just getting constant good input after constant good input. Because I had a similar experience where, oh, I heard this on this podcast, I read this in this book. Oh, I'm starting to tie these things together. These successful people that I want to emulate, they say these certain things are important and they say to do these certain things. So I'm going to start to do them. I'm going to start to change my life. And it's not going to be immediate, but there are those, those big moments. Like you said, I just saw so many things and then, oh, this really snapped it into me. This really gave me this lesson. And so I think that once you can realize that it's not going to be a single thing, but all the single things are important too. You're going to have uh, an advantage in that way. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Well, I think that's all we wanted to cover, but do you want to end by just letting people know where they can find you online? Yeah, online. Uh, website is downdogathletics.com, all one word. 
under or, and then Instagram is Paul underscore Klingen, P-A-U-L underscore Klingen on Instagram. Also active on Facebook, but uh, and YouTube, but you can find me through those, and then they'll be able to get distributed throughout the rest. And then I've got my own podcast, um, Down Dog Athletics Podcast. I've renamed it to Mindful Muscle Podcast. Uh, I'll have to get you on and flip the script and interview oh, you. Um, but the podcast, social media, those are the big ones. And yeah, just looking to keep creating and, and working with people. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot for sharing your time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on a second time and uh, not letting the, the fire alarm knock us out. For sure. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you would, please take a minute out of your day to review and rate the podcast as well as subscribe. It would really help me out a lot. And if you're on Instagram, go ahead and follow me on there at jakeparker.fit and screenshot and tag me when you're listening to the show. I'll be sure to share it. And thank you personally on there.